Welcome, so good to see you all today. Uh, we are going to continue today in our Jesus is Better series, and I'm excited just to be here. Worship was like phenomenal this morning. Um, and look, I'm grateful for the folks that, that God has given us, those that are musically inclined. Um, but man, worship is, is not about the, the musicians. It is about being able to come before the Lord and pour out praise. And so we just want to do that this morning as we continue with the preach word of God. You guys good with that? All right, cool. So, um, like I said, we're going to continue in our Jesus is Better series. And before I hop in, I want to start with a question. I want to ask you guys, have you ever wondered, why did Jesus become a man? Like, have you ever thought, like, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, lived in perfect communion with God the Father and the Spirit. He lived in a perfect environment, and he had perfect rule. And he like willingly chose to enter in to this, right? To, to live in a, a human body, right? Limited and one that, that was exposed to sickness and to being tired and exhausted and ex potentially exposed to COVID, right? Like he came into this environment where he would know relational tension and feel the effects of like a broken world riddled with sin, like, it's crazy, right? And if you've been around church for a while, you'll know that this is actually called the gospel, the good news, that Jesus Christ became a man, lived a perfect life, died on our behalf so that we can be saved. That is good news, friends. And but that might lead us to kind of wonder, like, perhaps, like, could God have done it a different way? Like, was it necessary for Jesus to endure what he endured for us to be saved? Like maybe he could be, maybe God would look at things, I've wondered this, and be like, yeah, man, this sin thing got out of control. Um, you know, just continue to sacrifice, and at some point I'm just gonna do away with it. Like I'll act like it didn't happen, right? Like it seems like there could have been some easier ways. Well, today we're gonna wrestle. We're gonna look at those things as we seek to understand how Jesus is the better Adam why Jesus had to come as a man. And we're gonna do that through the lens of focusing on the incarnation of Jesus Christ, which is the fact that Jesus came a man, became as a man. Um, before, one more profound question before we get started is, have you ever seen Lord of the Rings? Yeah, show of hands. All right, so look, if you, if you don't know about Lord of the Rings, it is a series of movies now that were based off of novels. I remember being a fourth grader and going into the library and looking according to the Dewey Decimal System and finding The Hobbit and reading it. Yeah, <laughs> and finding The Hobbit and reading it, and I loved it. It was probably one of the few books I actually read as a kid. And they, they became popular in the 2000s. They, they made a movie series about it. But if you think of the series, if you, if you watch maybe number two and three, you would, you would be introduced to this character, Frodo Baggins, right? And he's hanging out with his, his strange buddy, Samwise Gamgee, and they're on this journey, a simple journey to take this ring and destroy it. And as you watch everything play out, you go, oh man, like there's, there's, there's this relational tension, there's highs and lows, there's triumphs, there's defeats, and in the end, they're successful. And you go, that's cool. Sorry, that was loud. You go, that's really cool. But to really appreciate what happened there, you gotta know what happened in the first episode, which is the fact that Frodo lived in this really cool Hobbit village, right? All these little grassy knolls everywhere. And Frodo was a good dude. 
He was, he was fairly innocent. He had great relationship with everybody else. Um, and he was just kind of carefree. But then you see the introduction of this ring and how the ring caused his uncle to, to wig out a little bit. And those of you that have seen that, you'll know that, that moment where you're going like, like this, you know? Um, but he sees this ring and, and actually when Frodo gets a hold of it, it begins to change him. And so in light of that, when you know what happened in the rest of the series, you go, oh, actually that's amazing that it worked out that way because maybe he can look like that again because maybe he would return to a place that would look so cool because in the rest of the series, it's nothing but like destruction, it seems. That's the background. And so as we talk about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the hope is that we would glory in this thing anew because we, we, un, we need to understand this in light of the full picture to really appreciate it. So I'm gonna take you guys on a journey to the garden. You good with that? Okay, so God created everything in the beginning, right? Sun, moon, stars, planet, all that stuff. He created animals and put them on the earth. God, the, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit said, hey, let's make man, let's make someone that looks like us. Let's make man in our image. And so he created Adam and he provided for Adam. He said, hey, all the plants, the trees, it's all good for you to eat, it's for you. He cultivated, and I don't know if you guys catch this, but he actually planted a garden for Adam. And it's like, this is your home. This looks different. Even though I made all this stuff and it's good, this is your home. This is where you're gonna dwell and I'm gonna come and dwell with you. We're gonna hang out every day. I'm gonna walk with you in this garden. So God planted this garden for him and he invited him to expand it. But we see God's two intentions for Adam in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, when he says, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, they will rule the fish and the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So we see right there that man, Adam, was meant to represent God, to be made in his image, to reflect him here on this earth, and he was made to rule rule over all of creation. We also see this in Genesis 1:28, where God says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the, earth, uh, fill the earth and subdue it. And so he says, Adam, act as I act. I want you now to go multiply and to create, right? So you're gonna, you reflect me and you're gonna multiply and create other little people that are gonna reflect me and you're gonna expand that. And actually in that, I'm inviting you to take and expand this garden out into the whole world. It's beautiful. Things were great and then Adam sinned, right? That messed up, that changed, that, that was a huge monkey wrench, right? Man gave up his authority to rule and so he gave up his home and he had to leave the garden. He chose to disobey God, which is sin. And now because sin is in him, he no longer looks just like God. He can no longer perfectly image God. And because of God's just nature, he judges man and he judges the serpent who deceived him and he tells him of the consequences. And I know often we look at it and we wrestle a lot of times with suffering in this world and why did things happen the way they happen? And if you're, if you're wrestling with faith, you may go, why did, why did sin exist? God could have avoided it. And when he set everything up in the beginning, all of this was for man and all of this was for his delight and all of this was geared around us enjoying relationship with him and ruling over these things. And there was just one thing he told us not to do. He didn't hide the rules. He said, choose this tree, don't choose that one. 
because when you do, you will surely die. There were no games, it was very clear. And so God in his, in his justness had to enter death into the scenario. But then God makes a, a, a promise and he makes it to the man and he makes it to the snake. And he says, I'm gonna put enmity between uh, you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And in this promise, what he's saying is that, look, you guys will never collaborate on the highest level again. I'm putting enmity between the two of you. And in addition to that, uh, serpent, yeah, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna strike his heel, but I have a, there's a seed that's coming and he's gonna crush your head and he's gonna destroy you. So that promise is saying that, look, like you're gonna be done, your time's running out, serpent. And so that brings us to Jesus and that brings us to the book of Hebrews. So if you guys wanna open up, we're gonna go to Hebrews chapter two, verses five through 18. I am reading from the CSB. Uh, uh, so you, you follow along on your apps, your, uh, your phones, your actual word of God, sword of the spirit. If I could find it, we'll get going. You would have thought I would have put my marker in here and that I could find Hebrews because I've been in it for the last, okay, there we go. My marker was in it, okay. All right, so Hebrews 2, five through 18. Okay, for he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we're talking about, but someone somewhere has testified, what is man that you're mindful of him, or that you remember him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus, made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the source of their salvation perfect through suffering. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him. And again, here I am with the children God has given me. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he is tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. So the question that we're gonna wrestle with is why did Jesus become a man? 
And it's laid out in Hebrews, it's pretty clear, but if you guys are like me, we kind of need to dive in to understand it and, and see the complete beauty of it. The author of Hebrews picks up right here in, in verse five where Kevin left off last week where he was saying, hey, Jesus is better than angels. And right here he actually says, but angels, but uh, man are better than angels as well. And so he uses that, he makes two points up front. He says, hey, the world to come, what, what we are moving towards, this future with Christ, ruling and reigning, is actually not gonna be for angels. It's subjected to you. We are the ones that are gonna be ruling and reigning with Christ. And so he starts off with saying, you guys are better. And then he, he points to Psalms 8, which was a psalm that was written by David. And David says, God, you created all this stuff. You made all these things with your fingertips, the, the, the universe. And he goes, what is man that you're mindful of him? Like, it's so small. But in the very next breath, David knows, he doesn't doubt. He goes, but you, you made him just a little bit lower than angels. And you actually subjected everything to him. And you've crowned him with glory and honor. And I, I wanna pause on that for a second because that's just where we a lot of times miss that. We struggle to understand our identity. Yes, sin has entered into the scenario. Yes, it has changed a lot, but it has not changed how God views you. It has not changed your status in relationship to him. He goes on to say that we don't yet see everything subjected to him. And I think that's something that all of us here can like agree with, right? We look at this world today and we go, look, like we're not, we're not ruling the way God intended. We don't see everything in subjection and in submission to, the, to man. I think we could all agree with that. We, we know that we were called to rule, but if we look at leadership in this world, a lot of it's corrupt, right? So, you, amen to that. Okay, so there, there's this perverted rule, right, that's going, going around because of sin. We see that, that people use their God-given creativity to, to be fruitful and to multiply, but we multiply the wrong things. It's, it's chaos, and it's disorder, and it's, uh, it's evil. It's wickedness, right? So there's this perverted power, uh, and we see um, that people strive to conform to any and every other image apart from the one you were told you were made in. We want to look like our favorite uh, health coach. We want to look like our favorite celebrity, right? Or we maybe uh, want to follow our own self-identification, saying that we believe this about ourselves when God has said another thing about us, right? We also want to look like monkeys because that's where we're told we come from, right? There's all these, these ways in which we, we kind of twist our image the way we were called and designed to look. So the author's right. He says, look, we don't yet see everything subjected to man, but we do see Jesus. We do see Jesus. And Jesus was crowned with glory and honor because he lived a perfect life and he willingly suffered for all of us so that we could all be in a relationship with him, so that we could be saved, so that we could know him. He, the author wants to take our eyes off of us, and he goes, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Why did Jesus become a man? He became a man to do what Adam and us, whenever I say Adam, that's us, because if we were there, that'd be us. He came to do what Adam could not do, and that was to fully and perfectly represent God 
and to perfectly rule over all creation. That's why Jesus entered into this scenario. That's why he became flesh. So how do we see Jesus on this earth as he walked out his life representing God? And how do we see him ruling? Well, that's in the incarnation. That is in the idea, in the fact that he, that God became a man. And so God was 100%, Jesus Christ was 100% God, and he was 100% man. Not half and half that made up a whole, no other variation. 100% fully man, 100% fully God. And that means that if he was fully God, that he actually retained power and authority within his body. But he chose to live in submission to the Father. And he chose to rely on the dependence of the whole, to be dependent on the Holy Spirit and to honor this frame. He entered into a, 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 a human frame and he honored that. And so we see him fully representing God in that. And if he was 100% fully man, he had the ability to sin. He could have said, nah, you know, I wanna go my own way. This ain't gonna work. I'd rather rule right here. This looks pretty good. But he didn't. He lived life perfectly. And in that, he ruled over his flesh, unlike Adam. So we see that Jesus reflected God and he ruled. In doing this, Jesus fulfilled God's intentions for man in the garden. He did what Adam could not do. And after his death and his resurrection, we see his reward in Matthew 28, 18, when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He won it back. What we gave away in the garden, he won it back. Jesus is a better Adam, amen? So why did Jesus do this? We see in verse nine, it says, by grace, he tasted death for everyone. He did it to show us grace, to show us loving kindness, to bring us joy, for it to be a delight. That's why he did this for us. And he says, uh, it says to taste death. I think that's such an interesting phrase. The Greek word for, for this phrase is gua. You guys say that? Gua? All right, man, I was expecting a little bit more. Gua, all right, there we go. It's kind of like the Marine, the Marine uh, column. Anywho, um, <laughs> anywho. All right, so look, so this, this idea to taste death is to try the flavor of, to experience, to come to know. I'm gonna tell you guys right now, today I'm celebrating Valentine's Day with the love of my life, my beautiful wife, Natalie. And um, we are gonna head down to San Clemente and I will probably be gua-ing some wine, right? I'm gonna be tasting some, some different things as we celebrate Valentine's Day. That is not the same thing that Jesus chose to do. Jesus chose to, to taste a bitter cup. He chose to walk into a situation that was not advantageous for him. And he did it for us, he did it out of grace. He wanted to walk in our shoes to know the wrestle intimately and to overcome it. Now this is the thing, being that he was God, he fully had the knowledge of what death required and how it impacted people. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he knows our thoughts and he knows our wrestles and he understands our emotions but he wanted to know it by experience. And he did that out of love for you and I. Incarnation is a beautiful thing. So why did Jesus become a man? Second reason, Jesus became a man to fix a problem that Adam could not fix. 
Jesus became a man to fix a problem that Adam couldn't fix. The problem that sin created was massive and it, it needed to be dealt with. So we see in verse 16, it says, for it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. When Adam sinned in the garden, he created a massive problem that none of us could fix. Sin changed our relationship with God from the way God intended it in the garden. It's one of those things like, you know, if you've ever like, I don't know, you've made a decision and you, you think it's not a massive one, but it causes this like crazy chain reaction just because you didn't understand how it would really impact things. That's like what this was, right? It actually affected the relationship between God and man. So enter Jesus, the better Adam. He was the one who was sent to be the great mediator between God and between man. He came to come and fix this problem. He was the merciful and faithful high priest to, to fix relationship. He stood in the gap for us. I wanna share one quick story. Uh, my mom, uh, she's an amazing woman. She passed a few years ago. Uh, miss her dearly. She, uh, she was a bit of an intercessor and a high priest on my behalf between me and my father. I love my dad and we have a great relationship and I could approach him with so many things. But when I was younger in high school, um, I would wanna go to like parties and I went to Christian school so these were very PG parties. But I wanted to go to parties and they would often either end late and my dad's kind of old school, raised uh, one of three sons, just by his father because his mom passed when he, he was young. And he was just kind of like, no, you don't need to go out this week. You went out last weekend. I'd be like, what? How, what's that logic? How does that work, right? <laughs> so I'd like appeal to my mom. I'd be like, mom, I want to go to this party. Can you help me? So she would like, I see her go walk over to my dad and she just rub his back a little bit, a couple kisses on his, on his cheek, you know? And, uh, and she talked to him about it, you know? And eventually it usually worked for, for my benefit. Um, sometimes the conversations would, would get probably really heated and so they'd, they'd move to the bedroom. Um, and I think sometimes she tried this a few times where she'd be like, fine, it, don't worry, I, like, I'll pick them up. I, I'll grab them, I'll get them at one o'clock in the morning. Well, guess who showed up to pick me up? It's never my mom, it was always my dad, right? So my mom, she would, she would intercede for me, right? Like she tried to help me out. She'd stand in the gap for me. And that was amazing. But as amazing as my mother was, she's not Jesus. And so she couldn't do, man couldn't do what Jesus could do. There weren't enough commands that we could follow. There wasn't enough animals that we could sacrifice that would fix and restore this relationship between us and God. So how did Jesus fix this problem of a broken relationship? In order to fix the relationship, he had to atone for sin. Verse 17 says, he had to become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God. Why? To make atonement for the sins of the people. What does this mean? To atone for sin means that one would offer a pleasing sacrifice to God. One that could fully satisfy God's wrath towards sin. God hates sin. He hates sin. 
And that presents a problem for us, people who sin. And that had to be dealt with. And so in atonement, God takes all this anger, this righteous anger towards sin, and he pours it out on something. And there were temporary things to help fix with that, which were animal sacrifices, but there needed to be one sacrifice that would actually atone for all of it, for the massive effects that it created in changing the scope of relationship with God in this world. Jesus was a high priest who, or excuse me, the high priest often played a crucial role in this. If we look at Jewish culture, a high priest was someone that would go before God and he would represent man. And he would bring a sacrifice and try to atone for sins. But as a high priest would come and enter into the temple and into the holies of holies in this place with God, he himself had to be pure. And so he would make purification and do certain rituals and cleansing and washing. And if you, if you don't know, they would tie something around his waist in a little bell because if it stopped ringing or they felt a, a big tug, they'd pull him out because some people would walk in not pure. And so he would represent man to God, make sacrifices and atone for sin. And then he would turn around and he would represent God to man and rule according to God's righteous law. Jesus, or the first question is, does that sound familiar? When we think of the garden, represent God and to rule in creation. This was God's design. So Jesus had to become a high priest because the priests were imperfect and the lambs were imperfect. So Jesus had to come and step in and actually make, bring a solution that would work forever. He had to fulfill this role. So when Jesus went to the cross, he came before God, the perfect God, he came, he was able to walk right in because he himself was perfect. And he came before God as a priest on our behalf and he said, there's a sacrifice I'm gonna offer to you. But the astounding thing that we find in Jesus Christ through the incarnation is that he also, in the very next breath, I can imagine he just takes off his robe and he gets up on the altar and dies. And that moment is the cross. That moment is the cross where Jesus hangs there for us as one that's guilty on our behalf who had no sin himself. Jesus is a better Adam and he came to fix a problem that we could not fix. So why, why did Jesus become a man? Let's look at the third reason. <clears throat> it's to defeat an enemy that Adam could not defeat, death and the devil. Verse 14 says, now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, and that's the devil. In the garden, Adam violated God's law, right? Don't eat from this tree. And as a result, death came into the world because it was a just consequence. You sin, you die, right? It was legally binding because it was a law. If we think of it in legal terms, this, this idea of, of death was legally binding. And because Adam chose disobedience, he chose death. And he was no longer able to partake from, of the tree of everlasting life, which would have allowed him to live forever with the Lord. 
which is the beautiful glory that we long for as believers. Amen? As a result, he was banished from the garden. And ultimately, he lost out on intimate communion with the Lord, where they would walk together, where they would spend time together. So we were in a bad spot, right? We, we couldn't overcome the devil, right? I could just imagine Adam, like, he walks out into this world, and he's like, man, this doesn't look like the garden. This doesn't look as nice, that's for sure. This is more like a Best Western versus, you know, the Hilton. And, and he's, he's actually in this space where the enemy's roaming around. So he's going, I can't, I can't beat that guy. I just fell. He, he told me one lie, and I believed it. And he looks back, and he can't go back in the garden. He's locked out of that. We were in a bad spot until Jesus, our bigger brother, stepped on the scene, right? He became a man to defeat the enemy that Adam could not defeat. Verse 14 says that through his death, he might destroy the one, not might, he will destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil. Jesus came as a man sharing in flesh and blood to be like us, right? And because he's a better Adam, he lived a perfect life. He did what we could not do, and he had no sin in him. And so when he willingly went to the cross, he was able to atone for our sin. That's, that's the repeated theme, that he was able to atone for our sins. He was able to make it right. So Jesus received the wrath of God on the cross. What you and I deserve, Jesus received it. And as he hung on that tree, taking on the sins of the entire world, he, just like Adam, was banished by God. He was banished on our behalf that we would be brought back into communion with God. And just like Adam, he was denied intimate communion so that we would be restored this intimate communion, this right relationship with God, the Father. This is amazing news. I had asked that question up front, like why did Jesus have to do it? And we see why, because he was the only one that could do it, because he was the better Adam. There was no other man that could, that could reverse time and actually reflect God perfectly and rule perfectly. But the best part is that after this, the wrath of God was satisfied and Jesus gave up his life for us, because he was undeserving of death, since there was no error or no stain found in him, death had no legal grounds to hold him. And just like that, he destroyed the power of death and he resurrected. And the devil's done and death is done. Now look, we still see those things today, right? But I want you guys to know what he did was a permanent solution and he, he flipped the hourglass. And so time is running out where those will completely be done and out of existence and he will judge the enemy for what he has done. Jesus was the better Adam. He became a man to defeat an enemy that Adam could not defeat. The devil's still around like we talked about, but we gotta understand like, what does this mean for us today? Verse 15 says that in death, Jesus freed those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. And so just as that, like, part of that tells us is like, Jesus didn't just come to beat the bad guy. Jesus came to free us. When sin entered in us, we were bound. He came to free us, to bring freedom. And that exists today. 
He came in order to free us from the fear of death. So if I ask you guys, like if we think about it, like is the fear of death, like if I think of all the things that God could free me from, is the fear of death like one of my number one concerns? Maybe. If we think of the last couple of years, we've seen, we've been, we've become well acquainted with death. We've seen a lot of people die. COVID has stolen a lot from us. Right? We've seen the things as they play out in the world. We're very aware of death. I want to I propose to you that I think there's three ways that the fear of death has impacted us. I think some of us, first and foremost, there's, there's an actual fear of death itself. And I would say nobody's excited to die, but I just want to say how encouraged I am when I hear about saints, people that have walked with the Lord and in their moments of death, how they are so um, excited and at peace to go join the Lord. And I pray that for all of us. And I love, I, I was checking in on Mandy because she just lost her father recently. And that was what she said. Oh, it, it was so nice. I'm like, nice. But when we, when we, in light of eternity, like this is light and momentary affliction. And to, for God in his grace and his kindness to bring us peace in those moments and so I know some of us really have like an unnatural an anxiousness towards like dying and what that moment could be like. And God just wants to bring peace to that. If you know him, you are in him and he'll give you what you need in those moments. And some of you in here don't know Jesus and you, you wonder like, uh, you know, I don't know. If I, if I leave this world, I don't really know if I'm gonna go be with him. And he wants to give you assurance today too. He wants to give you confidence in salvation. And all you have to do is say, yes, Lord. The second response, um, the second thing that, that I think that we see in terms of the fear of death is the way that we respond to it. And I think there are really subtle ways in our culture that we may not be aware of. So I just wanna point a couple of them out to us. The first would be doomsday prepping, right? We think of doomsday prepping and there's this idea that one day something cataclysmic is gonna happen and I'm either gonna have to like, like, you know, knuckle up and have, you know, everything that I need provided for so that I can make it past this moment that could bring death. And so therefore I need to prepare, right? Something that's similar, but completely different is legalism, which also says there's gonna be an account one day. And actually, if I can do everything I can to wash the outside of this cup, then I, I, can, I, I might make it. I might be able to escape it. And so therefore we spend a lot of time looking at the outside of what's going on on everybody else but not really taking the medicine that we need to be made well. The last two I wanna share is, is YOLO, right? This idea, you only live once, right? And that's the idea of going, man, something bad's coming. And so don't even think about that, just do what you want today. This one I would say is, probably, is gonna be less known, but I think it's uh, probably most prevalent. And it's, it's the phrase, do what thou wilt. And it's not a good phrase, it's, it's, it's uh, a satanic one that, Lester Crowley uh, is known for coining, but the idea behind it is basically find what you will to do and do it. And so you hear that and you go, well, that doesn't sound good. But then, but it's, it says, as long as you don't harm anybody, you go, okay, well, that's not biblical, but it might not sound bad. But actually, it's what we see in the garden. It's this idea that that actually, if I make decisions, like as long as I can kind of see the surface, if I'm not doing something against Matt right here, is, it'll be fine. But actually, that takes out of the equation what God calls us to do. And so, like some of us, 
maybe in here, in a relationship, not married and sleeping together. And we go, oh, this is like mutual. My, my partner's good with it. I'm good with it. God's not. And so this idea of like, hey, we can do what we want just as long as it doesn't impact anybody. Did Adam know the effects of his sin in the garden? No, he just wanted a piece of fruit from the wrong tree. But the reality is that he said like, nah, you know, I'm not gonna obey God. The last one I wanna land on um, is, is really just this, uh, this idea that the fear of death paralyzes us from actually moving forward into what God has called us to do. God calls us to represent him and to rule. Right, And so that actually still exists for us today, that same calling. And so today we represent him by proclaiming his gospel, by reflecting him and looking like him, but we represent him by proclaiming his gospel. And sometimes we're so worried about relational tension and death and maybe hypocrisy in our own life that we don't wanna share, but he calls you to represent him, right? The second one would be to rule, right? He's called us to rule with him over our flesh and over the kingdom of darkness because Jesus recouped that authority. He brought it back. And so sometimes we don't live in light of that today. So we don't, we, we don't think to pray for somebody. Oh, is God gonna heal somebody through me? It's not about you. It's about God and what he's able to do. And he invites us into that to expand his kingdom in this earth today. I just wanna land with this. God calls, God did this so that we would be free from the fear of death. And just as I was preparing for this uh, sermon, I just felt that God wants to bring so many different levels of freedom today. And so I just wanna say, there's a couple where it's like, man, I feel you may be in here going, man, I'm bound in sin. And he just wants to bring freedom to that. And actually just in relationship with him, he can bring healing into that. You may be in here where you're going, man, I'm actually willingly disobeying. I know what I'm not supposed to be doing and I'm doing it and I dug my heels in and I don't know how to get out. And he's got a spiritual tow truck to help you out today. You may uh, be bound and not even know it. There may be some things in 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 your past and some dysfunction as a result of it and you just go, man, this ain't right in my life. And he's able to see that and he's able to bring freedom in that. And lastly, there may be things that you've experienced some massive trauma and he wants to heal that too. So when we look at Jesus, we see the better Adam, the one who was able to do what we couldn't do, fix a problem that we couldn't fix and defeat an enemy that we couldn't defeat. Thank you, God. Let's pray. Father, we exalt you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. He has a name that is above every name. We thank you that he came and he did what we could not do. And we just ask, Lord, that you today, by the power of your spirit, will continue your work amongst us. In this place today, Father, would you cause freedom to reign. In Jesus' name.